Hey everyone, what's going on? I didn't want you to feel shortchanged this week, so I wanted to release a little bit of bonus content. Hope you enjoy today's interview. Hi Laura, how are you today? Good, good. How are you? Nice to be here. Well, it's thank you for joining me. Um it's been a fairly interesting day so far. Um, my neighbor had a couple of calves out on the road while I was on the oh. way to work. His ranch is like in between mine and my house. So yeah, I pull off the road and I call him. It's like, he said, well, you got a couple of calves out on the road. He said, yeah, somebody else just called me. So I'm over here helping Swayze. It'll be a while before I can get there. I said, well, let me see what I can do. So I ended up taking an extra 20 minutes on my morning commute to put a couple of calves in for my neighbor. And <laughs> then I went back and I looked and the cattle guard, they were standing right beside. Like I didn't, you know, I kind of, they went up and they looked at the cattle guard and they were like, yeah, no. So I was like, all right, we'll just push you on down. Cause I know there is another gate down there. So I just ran down, opened the other gate, came back, pushed them down. So I went and looked at the cattle guard and I was like, yep, they just walked through it. What? Oh, but it has a gate, so I just went over and I swung the gate closed and called him and told him, I said, put your calves back in, close the gate. Here's where they're at. And they're not afraid of a cattle guard, huh? Uh, that one was barely ankle deep. It was pretty full of dirt. So, oh, oh yeah, so. the brave one, just two brave ones just kind of walked right across it. Hmm. So I figured I closed the gate before the rest of them decided that it, uh, that it was possible to take that route and escape. Yes. Yes. To es escaping animals is always, is always exciting. I was at a, a farm in Arizona at Regen AZ uh, about a, three weeks ago and, and they have goats there. No sheep, excuse me, sheep there. Um, and we were camping. We were part of this regenerative thing. And in the night, the dogs who monitor them were going crazy. And we found out is because they all got out <laughs> roaming around. So in the morning before breakfast, we all had to help corral sheep, which. It's just sheep of, doing what sheep do. You know, it wasn't particular. They, they were, you know, they're very friendly sheep, but it was just sort of a very fun, you know, farm experience. Cattle on the highway is never a call you want to get. No. I've, I've actually been lucky this year. Um, it hasn't been me the last couple of years. It's been me a little too often, but not this year. Um, the last call that I got from the sheriff's dispatch office, like just after sunrise, like seven 15 in the morning, I was already getting up out of bed. Phone rings. I see it's a dispatch. All I got to do is just answer it and say, I'm already on my way. And they just told me the mile marker. And I said, I'll be there <laughs> as soon as I can. Well, I, I didn't grow up on a farm. I grew up in the city. And I moved to Montana when I was young. And I see a, a cow on the road. So I call the police, you know. And they laughed and laughed at me. They said, that, that's not for us. Go to the farm. Tell the guys cows out. <laughs> well, the <laughs> The one I was just telling you about, it actually turned out really nice because I get up over the first hill and I can see them like scattered down the highway, kind of in the mist. And I'm like, oh, this is bad. Get up over the next hill and I see them standing there and none of them have horns and they're all black. And I go, this is not my bunch. <laughs> get a little bit closer where I can see brands and ear tags. It was my neighbors. Uh and then I look over there and I see one of his gates, his big old 20 foot barbed wire gate. They just, they just balled up in the corner and blown through the gate and we're out grazing down the highway ditch. So I called my neighbor and I was like, uh, so Dave sitting out here on the highway and about a hundred year cows grazing up and down the ditch. And he goes, I'll be right there. So I helped stop traffic and help my neighbor get his stuff off the road just last week. So we all try to help each other out here. It's just the way it is. Okay. Well, now it'll be less eventful for the next hour or so. Yeah. Yeah. I hope so anyway. Yeah. So um, why don't you tell us a little bit about, gosh, I don't know. Um, where do you want to start? 
it's funny. I was like, oh, you're either going to ask me just to tell you my little shtick about our company or sort of um, why I do what I do. Let's start with the second one and then go to the first one. The second one's harder, as I said it. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So I am an accountant by trade, which is a great skill to have. Um, But um, I moved into this this space when I um, when I had some sort of room to to have some more freedom in my schedule and, and in what I leave to the world. Um, the company uh, Microbiometer um, was actually founded by my mother. So um, it's kind of fun to be in agriculture when working for the family business is considered really normal. Um, in the rest of the world, it's very strange that you would just uh, go into something because that's what your parents did. But um, my mother was an immunologist. Um, she worked for years in medical diagnostic testing. Uh, later in life, she really wanted to do something that had a more impressive and meaningful legacy. She loved bacteria her whole life. Like she thought of them as little creatures. She always thought about what they did. Um, and she wanted to work on a soil. She wanted to, she she understood the importance of the natural microbe cycle in uh, the, the plant world, right? Um, she knew enough about farming to know that it had been sort of divorce from the natural cycle. Um, And she wanted, since she had experience in diagnostic testing, she wanted to help growers, um, particularly in the global South and those without access to lots of money or equipment or, or, or things like that, to have them really understand soil biology at a very sort of, um, she taught for a long time. So she was very into sort of understanding that if you saw and did and understood it yourself, it was a much more meaningful and and you could sort of get people on board more if they saw it themselves. Um, and so she worked for a long time, as many people do in her basement, developing this task to make sure it was safe, that it was effective, um, and that it was accessible. So, um, and, and she did, she came up with this product. Um, she was a terrific inventor. She actually passed away in 2022. She was a terrific inventor, like all entrepreneurs, she had, you know, um, ADHD that was very helpful in a lot of situations, but running the nuts and bolts of a business wasn't one of them. So um, she and I worked together a lot. So she brought me in to sort of uh, calm her down. And my job was to tell her to stop trying to invent new things. Let's work on what we have right now and get it out to the world. So we've been selling about three years in the market. This is our little kit. It looks just like a little science thing that you'd run. I don't know if this audio or video so looks like a little lunchbox. I, I was um, going to say a lunchbox size black plastic. It's box. a cute little lunchbox and it's designed so you can throw it in your truck and haul it around. Um, and uh, it looks like a little science kit that you do in middle school. You get some soil, you mix it with some salt water, you whisk it around, um, you separate the, the microbes from the soil particles, right? Um, both chemically and mechanically. So especially in healthy soil, microbes are very, very bound up in soil particles. So in order to count them and test them, you need to separate them. And that's um, that's harder than one would think. Um, we use a salt solution that if you use too much of it, will will kill them. It'll kill them ultimately. But um, And you want to whisk them in a way that that sort of separates them, but doesn't obliterate them. So there's a lot of time in that. Um, and then you take the solution, the essentially microbial solution after the soil settles out, you put it on a test card and we developed a cell phone app, right? Because people around the world have cell phones. They don't maybe have a spectrophotometer or a microscope, but they have cell phones. Um, and it reads the results um, for microbial biomass and fungal to bacteria ratio. The point being that people out in the regenerative world who are moving away from conventional ag, trying to improve naturally the health of their soil, um, use it to sort of see how their practices are impacting soil biology, right? Um, So it's designed to be used a lot over time to get a real picture of what's happening. Microbes naturally fluctuate in in soil. They're naturally different in different soils. Um, there's not a good number you want. It's not like getting an A on a paper, right? It's a it's a process. Soil fertility is something um, that a lot of people in this country are rebuilding, but once it's rebuilt, you have to maintain it. So it, it's a continual process. 
Um, just like you care for your plants, you have to care for your, and your animals, you have to care for your microbes. So this is the kit. We sell it all around the world. Most of our sales are international and we're a small company. We now have five, um, happen to be all women right now out of uh, New York state. And we do the manufacturing and the shipping ourselves. And it's just a lot of fun. It's a terrific world to be in. Um, I get to learn about all the just amazing things people are doing all around the world to um, play their part in making our food supply more resilient, healthier for us, healthier for the animals, healthier for the plants, you know, um, and to do something to um, make the planet healthier as opposed to less healthy. So it's, it's very exciting um, for me. Um, and it's something new that I get to learn and I don't have to always do accounting, which is nice. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so I, one of the things I've been curious about is what the powder is in the little pouch, oh, yeah. because I, I figured that the little powder in the magic in the pouch is part of the magic that makes the whole thing work. And uh, from what you said, it's a salt solution, correct? Yeah. I, I want to see if I have one in here. So no. I'm, yeah. I'm just going to go out on a limb and say it's not table salt. It's not sea salt. It's a special blend of salt with some other magic dust in it. It is. And and it, it's not you. You can you can go on our website and find out exactly what it is. Of course, it's not that magical. It, it is. It is not table salt because we don't want aluminum in it, but it is literally food grade salt. Um. And, and a small amount of anti-caking agent. So um, we got the salt because salt will separate, will, will help separate microbes, right? Um, it also will have the soil, the soil particulate out and the microbes will sort of stay buoyant a little bit in the solution. Um, and it's packets that actually as the president of this company, my job is to make them, which is a little bit funny. We, um, because salt is is hydrophilic, right? It loves water. Right. Um, so we had a very hard time getting it outsourced because it would just clump and get goopy um, and not sex. So we so we bought this very cool machine used, of course, we're the startup. Um, and we just fill a small amount of salt. It's got two kinds of salt in it, um, but but it's totally safe. I mean, don't eat it, but you could. There's nothing unsafe about it. We, we wanted to make sure, and that's one of the hard things, um, a lot of people use dyes when they do microscopy or look at microbes, um, but a lot of dyes are quite dangerous um, and you can't send them to the EU, for example. They have much different rules. A lot of dyes are totally fine and not a problem, um, but the world of dyes are, is a little scary. So we didn't we didn't want to use dyes for that reason because um, we didn't want to sort of put poison in a kit that's designed to help the planet. Yeah, you don't want to put like red 40 or blue number two lake. And I mean, we know. feel bad enough that the kid is plastic, but glass on a farm is just not the greatest idea. So all the little parts in the kit, while they're plastic, you can reuse them <laughs> till the cows come home. You can reuse them until they like literally fall apart. Um, so everything can can be reused. Um, but but the salt packets aren't aren't anything super special. Yeah, I, I, you know, and I had that thought when I kind of dug into it. I'm like, huh, you know, there's some plastic waste here. But then, you know what? There's any other kind of soil sampling. There's going to be plastic waste. There's plastic trash. There's. Yeah, I mean, we 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 used to send refills out with sort of more plastic. And then we were like, why? Again, if, you know, this is a little dropper. There's no reason, you know, you can't reuse that for five years, you know. Um, so we got rid of with refills, any of the plastic, but if people, you know, if, if certain parts fall apart or they lose them, you know, we can just in include them as people need them um, to cut it, to cut it down. We would very much like to move to, um, you know, biodegradable or a, a, a sort of a non-plastic substance. Um, the problem is a lot of our stuff comes from the medical profession and, and they have request, you know, restrictions on using different substances. So um, the supply chain is a little harder than it would be normally. Well, everything's a sacrifice. I mean, if you went to like 
a glass dropper with a little rubber bulb on it. You know, how do you know that the rubber's conflict free from a, you know, an ecologically responsibly managed forest? I, I don't want to downplay any of that sensitivity. It's just, yeah. you know, like everything is going to be a trade-off somewhere. Yeah. And, and it is hard because you think, oh, let's go all green. And then you think, you know, especially, you, you know, we're a startup company. We we had to figure out the supply chain ourselves, you know, um, and and you're like, oh, it's just not that easy. <laughs> you, <know? laughs> you, you have to to look at it. But what we did do is we tried to find and again, sorry for people who can't see. We tried to find products that were sort of already being made efficiently, right? Like this, we use it to to take the large, this is a little, it's a sink strainer. You, you buy yeah. it at Home Depot, but it's perfect for straining soil, getting the rocks and the larger particles out so that when you test the soil sample, you're not sort of taking it up. Um, and so we, we did sort of try to go and find products that were sort of already out there very cost effectively um, instead of, you know, getting some insane medical grade, you know, sifter, which, which, you know, you know, we also want the co- the kit to be very, very affordable right now. Um, starter kits, $135 and it has 10 tests in it. So, um, and refills go down to about six or $7. So people can do it a lot. So we want to make sure that, and we're trying to get those costs down more because the more data people have, right. Um, the better picture they can have of their soil. And also, you know, there's always sort of outliers or strange, you know, that like statistically, the more you have, the more um, consistent it'll be. And and you can see if, if, you know, maybe one day you just happen to pick a weird sample. Right. So let's, Let's back up just for a second about cost per test. You said it was like 135 for the base kit and it gives you 10 tests. Yeah. How much after you buy the base kit and kind of quote depreciate that out or, you know, amortize that cost out, like how, how cheap does it get per test refills for like the next hundred? Yeah. So uh, the, the, the starter kit is 10. We actually throw in five extra so people can get used to the tech, used to doing it. Um, and so they're per test with the starter kit, they're about 1350, right? Um, and then if you order a hundred refills, they're six dollars and seventy-five cents each for refills. Um for for your viewers, we have a coupon reboot 15. Everyone who has the internet knows you can search search around for coupons and get uh discounts. So um so yeah, we, we would like to be down at around $5. And as production goes up, our costs go down. We can probably hit that in, in two or three years. Um, and, and these are tests people, they do themselves sort of at home or in the barn. They don't send the soil anywhere else. Um, a lot of places who do microbe testing, you'll send the soil somewhere. They'll dry it out, which I don't quite understand because microbes are living beings. Um, they, they rehydrate and they'll, them. And they'll do something silly like wash it in hydrochloric acid and uh, and and so we say you know like if you catch a fish you don't dry it out and then weigh it right you 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 weigh what is it so uh our test should be done on field moist fresh natural soil i will say that this kit doesn't work on manufactured or artificial um soil it is designed for agriculture um, because what we use in the test is the pigments that microbes pick up in natural soil. So a hydroponic solution um, would read, um, well, it wouldn't read on our test because they don't have pigments to them. Um, well, I was, was going to ask, when you take a picture of the card mm-hmm. at the end of the test, is the camera looking at visible light or it's something we can't see? No, it looks at visible light. It 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 mimics a, a colorimeter. So there's a there's a target on there with different colors on it. So it it reads the red and green and blue in in uh, in real light. Okay. I've been wondering about that. I've been wondering about because it, it's not a very big spot on the card. No, it's not a very big spot on the card. But if you compare that to microscopy, it's about a hundred times bigger, 
right? Because if you if you're if you're if you put some liquid on a slide and you put a microscope on it, you're looking at such a little little area. Um, so our test actually, because because it's it's we're sort of the most like microscopy, right? In terms of of looking at microbes and essentially counting them, right? For us, we use surface area. Um, and um, so you want a big area. So even though the, I, I think it's seven and a half millimeters in diameter is the little hole. And that's actually fairly big um, for what it's doing. So. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I mean, it's, it's interesting. You can tell so much with a camera, with a cell phone camera sensor on a seven millimeter dot. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. So, it, what, it is. Mm -hmm. so what kind of information <laughs> is in that dot? What, what, what information is the test to give us? I guess that's what you haven't. Oh, okay. So the test returns, um, in units, grams of microbial carbon per gram of soil. Okay. Um, Microbial carbon, microbes are 60% carbon. Um, so it returns sort of microbial carbon. Um, what, when we designed the test, it was like, oh, what unit should we use? And that was sort of a, a little bit arbitrary. You know, we could have done microbial biomass. We're actually gonna come up with an update that'll actually convert it back to biomass because that's what sort of people like. Again, those are just mathematical calculations. What 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 the app does is it looks at the pigmentation in, in the microbes um, and the surface area and, and has an algorithm that we patented in there to, to come up with it. Um, and then it also returns fungal to bacteria ratio. So a, a, a broad um, breakdown of, of bacteria to fungi, which um, a lot of growers are very, very interested in. Um, fungal content does a lot to build soil structure, right? Um, and a lot of people who grow high value crops that you eat, almonds, grapes, berries, um, the fungal uh, makeup of the soil impacts the flavor and the, the taste of the food significantly. So a lot of growers out there are trying to increase their fungal content. So they like it to sort of see what's happening with that. Uh, and certainly cannabis growers are wild about um, mycorrhizal fungi in their soil. Um, so they inoculate a lot and, and see if it's colonized and see what's happening to the, the, the community in their soil. I, I wonder how much overlap there is in the soil health cannabis community versus the soil health agricultural community. And they're just not talking to each other because of there's, there's a taboo. Yeah, you know, it's funny because we we do, cannabis was one of our early, early groups that were like, yeah, we get, we get soil biology, right? Um, a lot of the early on were doing it medicinally, so they weren't going to put chemical fertilizers and pesticides in their pots for growing stuff to heal their bodies, right? It was very clear. Um, and, and I, you know, I sort of credit a lot of those early cannabis growers for for, for getting it into the into the world of 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 acceptable things to believe in, right? Soil microbes, right? Which I mean, it's funny to think that people don't believe in them, but people are like, oh, that's stupid, you know. People think that all the time. Um, what we have found is that commercial cannabis growers are much less progressive than the hobby growers. The so we call our users sort of heavy hobby growers, right? They they grow for personal use. Often they they came to it from a, a medicinal side, right? So they're very into holistic health. They certainly understand that the soil that you grow your food and medicine in it impacts your body, right? Um and um they're sort of open to experimenting with a lot of things, right? And and the, you know they're on Discord all the time. We I do a lot of podcasts with them. They're very communicative with themselves, but it is a very sort of small, you know, insular group. That's what they do. Um, but in terms of commercial growers, we we sort of don't talk to them a lot. Um, but there is a lot of overlap, I think. I would venture to guess that 
when they get to commercial scale, they have a system, they have a program, they have quality control to make sure that program is in place and they're not doing new development and rapid iterations and and trying to explore new things and increase and, and do things differently. They're just trying to do the same thing a whole bunch. Yeah. And, and, you know, a lot of them come from the horticulture world, which is probably the least progressive <laughs> uh, stuff going on. I mean, a lot of, a lot of greenhouses and horticultural is growing soilless medium even. Um, and um, the uptake of biologics, well, in some places is very good in other places is not. Um, so while cannabis commercially is, is very restricted in what they can spray. We do anecdotally know that they're not always compliant with it in the commercial cannabis world, unfortunately. Which is why all that testing is going on now of can of of product after the fact to make sure that it wasn't sprayed and and. Uh, uh, and yeah. Anyway. So a, a thought just occurred to me. Does traditional, quote traditional soil testing does that start to break down and not really return results back to growers whether whether we're talking about cannabis or whether we're talking about agriculture when we stop growing in that laboratory medium and we start trying to grow in living soil is that where is that where traditional testing has been failing us so because traditional soil testing um is chemical based right so here's your soil you have chemical NPK in it, right? Um, and we now know that uh, having chemical nitrogen in your soil does not mean that it's bioavailable to your plants at all, right? Right. Um, we also know that even if you have incredibly low levels of nitrogen in your soil, if you have um, the bacteria that can mine it and 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 make it available, you're just fine, right? So the, the chemical testing tells you the chemicals in it, but it it doesn't always translate, right? I mean, we know that like in the United States, we put far too many chemical fertilizers on our land. It doesn't make sense. It, it It's too much, right? Phosphorus is like, you know, everywhere. Um, so they need to be bioavailable. So a lot of the testing, for example, biomakers is is working on doing sort of more precise genetic testing of bacteria to say, these are nitrogen fixing. Your population of nitrogen fixing bacteria are high or low, right? So not this is how much nitrogen is in your soil, but these, you need to work on improving your nitrogen fixing bacteria population because that's how you're gonna get nitrogen into your plants, not by throwing it down, right? Um, but by getting the biology. So as that testing moves, and, and we still tell people chemical and, and mineral testing is still useful information. It's just not complete information. And they have been acting as if that is complete information, right? The agronomist takes the soil sample. They tell you you're low on nitrogen. They tell you to throw down so many pounds per acre, right? That's, that's, that prescriptive sort of one size fits all needs to go away, right? And, and you know how complex managing your own soil it is. You have to figure out what did I do last year? What did I do next year? What do I want the soil to do? What is, you know, am I going to do mob grazing? How's that going to look? It, it's not a simple formula. Right, right. And I, I was kind of thinking that, you know, there seem we need to start shifting some of the mindset towards feeding the soil, feeding the soil microbes, the bacteria, feeding the fungi. And I was just, my brain was just paralleling that with feeding cows. You don't feed the cows, you feed the microbes in the cow's stomach. And yeah. I don't know enough about sheep to know how to feed a sheep stomach. I don't know how, enough about goats on how to eat a, feed a goat stomach. I know goats eat trees. <laughs> But I mean, even the same is true of you, right? You have microbes in your stomach that if they're not healthy, it doesn't matter what you eat, right? You could, if you killed all the microbes in your gut, you could starve to death, right? I, I suppose the argument could be made that we're just 
kind of this weird walking bag of microbes that learned how to talk. Yes. I mean, you know, nuclei for nuclei, you're more bacteria than human. Now mass, of course, you're more human than bacteria, but because um, bacteria are very teeny. Um, but it, it is funny to think that that we are just sort of being used by these bacteria. I like I like that. I like that model. <laughs> I make it really weird to start talking about mitochondria and mitochondrial DNA and where'd that come from? Ooh, ooh, we evolved yeah. this like weirdly little specific powerhouse cell inside of our own uniquely coded DNA. Like yes, where'd that are. all come from? Yes, we are true bacteria zombies. That's that's how I like to think about it. But yeah, like with cattle, you you have to take care of their gut biome um, or, or, or they're not going to be healthy. And then we eat them and you know same as we need to be healthy yes so the que a question would be how accurate or how repeatable are the our test results yeah for for microbiometer yes. so so the microbiometer is 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 sort of a a layperson version of a lab test so in terms of accuracy, one of the most important things is that people follow all the instructions and the timing perfectly. The app has video instructions and timers and all that stuff. Yeah. Watch so the video first before you go to the field and open the box. Don't be like me. Yeah. You can, in the app, it'll say, watch the video. So you can watch the video. And, it, and, and the important thing is that you consistently do it the same. The people who have the most problem are actual scientists because they say, I have my own test tubes. I have my own, and they can actually use their own dropper. That's fine. I have my own, you know, I don't have to use your funny whisker. I have a tumbler at home, but you, you have to follow it exactly the way it works. Um, and we do know that uh, in the last year or so, phone technology um, and camera technology has improved so much that it's best if it, right now, if you use the same phone to take tests, if you're going to compare them to each other, um, because there are differences in phone color, but the phones are, are trying to make us more beautiful. So they're adjusting for color in ways that are a little strange. Um, we're working on a, on an algorithm fix in the next couple of months that'll correct for that, but it's but not it quite yet. Would it be better to to try to turn all those settings off on your phone if you're you, using? You can't. Phone? You don't know what you, they. You can't turn them off. No. Um, it's just sort of like if you had a bunch. You know, have you ever gone to like an old, I don't know, a, t a store where they have all the TVs on the wall and they're all playing the same thing, but all the colors are slightly different. That's sort of it, right? Yeah. 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 I was so, just thinking about my Samsung phone and like every once in like my wife has one too. And every once in a while, she's like showing me pictures like, Oh, look at Jupiter. I can see the moons. Like really? Like they've already been proven to fake the moon. Like you, you can't, you can't trick me with sky pictures with a Samsung anymore. Wait, we did that. So, so the important thing is like you try to say consistently um, it's best to take the, to read the test card in sort of the same place. So like your kitchen or your office, it's best not to do it outside in direct sunlight because, you know, the brightness will change. Um, and there's a variability of about um, five or 10% of tests. Um, so, you know, it's not the, it's not as precise as a lab microscopy certainly would be. Um, we are continually working to improve that. Um, and to make sure that we are uh, taking into account sort of all the strange things in soil. Um, but again, one of the things that we tell people is it's a benchmark test. You want to take them a lot. We do know that that microbes vary a lot out, especially in pastures, right, depending on what's there. So we really encourage people to say, look, you want to test for only a certain variable. So don't do time and space, right? do space or time. So get the sample from the same place if you're doing it over a period of time um, or get it at the same time if you want to look at a whole field, right? Because you don't want to convolute those two things. Um, so you can tag GPS exact location of where you got a sample 
you can put in notes about, you know, what were the conditions under which you got it. Um, and we tell people, you know, if you're doing agricultural growing crops, really um, try to get as close to the growing root of a plant as you can, right? Because that's the rhizosphere is going to be where most of them are. And then do that continually. So it's a little bit of a trial and error um, for people who use the test to sort of say, okay, um, I'm going to, you know, this is this is me running experiments on my own land, right? And gathering data. Um, the same could be true of chemical tests, right? If you grab soil samples, sometimes agronomists will do composites. We do not tell you to do a composite because often, um, so we take soil from the, the rhizosphere, the top two to five inches of soil. Field moist is the best. Um, people who do chemical tests sometimes take a core and they grind it together, right? Um, and we are testing living things, particularly fungi, I'll get all ground up. So it'll be weird. So, so for, for testing living things, don't, don't put it in a bucket and mix it with a auger, please. You know, it, it, not going to work for us. Is there, is there conditions or soil types or things that would give you, like what would give you gibberish or inconsistent results? What would give you gibberish or inconsistent results would be, um, a couple things. One, um, unfortunately, one thing that that is, if people over, I don't want to say overuse because that's not the right word. If people use a tremendous amount of very strange inputs in their soil, oodles of biochar, oodles of um, perhaps inputs that have other things in them. So a lot of the biological inputs have not just microbes in them, but microbial food in them, right? Uh, and some of them have like our molasses or things with a lot of strange pigments, right? So um, anything that's sort of what you wouldn't see naturally in a, in a soil place would create problems. The other thing is at the very low end, so under 200, um, the results aren't quite precise enough. Um, when we originally designed the test, you we couldn't get soil from around the world because we're not a USDA lab. So we only had the soil that people that we knew could send us, right? And so we were like, oh, below 200, that just means poor soil. So we, we didn't, you know, we only had so much we could work on. So we didn't sort of worry too much. We just said under 200 is just poor soil life goes on. Well, it turns out a lot of soil around the world is below 200 and also has to be improved. So we're working, you know, we're doing all the research to say, okay, let's make sure that when we return a result that's low, that it is just as accurate. So we're sort of working on that. So on the low end right now, um, uh, it, it's it, the precision isn't there to say there's a huge difference between 30 and 50, you know, um, so we're working on that. Um, okay. And, so what kind yeah. of soils are the sweet spot and what kind of users are the sweet spot? So our, most of the people who use us are like, we call them farmer scientists. They're out there. They're trying to, they're trying to assess what practices are out there. They've sort of um, given up on the prescriptive solely chemical farming and they want to figure out what works for their soil. Right. They're, they're testing all kinds of things. Um, mob grazing, um, intercropping, no-till, selective till, cover cropping. Um, and so, for example, for cover cropping, they want to see which cover crop gives me a bigger bump in my microbial growth. So they'll do a couple different fields. Um, normally, you want soil that is um, um, sort of productive, right? Like, um, I, I, if, if you had you know, dead desert land, I, I wouldn't sort of say to spend your money on the microbiometer yet. I'd wait till you, you know, did the easy peasy things to get stuff growing in it before you, you know. That makes um, sense. Did it, but, um, and of course, super rich, I'm in the Pacific Northwest, right? If you have amazingly fertile, dark, rich soil that you just want to eat, I mean, does it matter if you're 800 or a thousand? No, you're doing great. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, you only have so much money to spend on stuff. 
Um, so uh, I think at, at either extreme, I would say it's not as helpful, but for the people in the middle trying to move from like somewhat poor soil to, 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 to very good soil, that's sort of where people use it more. Like awesome. we have we have cannabis growers who've gotten so most agriculture good agricultural soil is about 600 micrograms of microbial carbon per gram of soil but some of these cannabis growers who grow inside they can get to 2500 you know um and at that point they're just showing off you know <laughs> i i wish i kind of knew off the top of my head I, i'm i'm going to have to go look now and see what mine mine is a microgram or you said micrograms of microbial carbon yeah and what's the unit of volume per gram of soil micrograms per gram okay i'm gonna have to go look now and see like i'm gonna have to go back and find get my phone out and find some results and see what yeah see what that number is because i was the test that i was doing uh we were kind of more looking at the the, the fungal to microbial balance and the ratio there um so other other than just like what else can it do what else can the tests what else can you test for and what else can a test do so our test just returns those two values so uh, uh, it returns total microbial you know carbon and fungal to bacteria ratio um where i was and, trying to lead you was like it also works on compost oh yes yeah so it works the same way on compost um, we also work on compost teas. Um, we don't work on hydroponics. So really any natural soil that's out there, you can effectively test through it. Um, you can't directly test um, worm castings because, um, but once you work it into the soil, that's what people ask us all the time. Can I test my you know, worm castings? And I was like, no, but why would you want to? What you want to do is test your soil before and after you inoculated with the worm castings to see if they were effective in improving your soil microbes. Um, so when people are testing inputs or amendments, we say, okay, test before and then test, um, you know, depends on what you're doing, a period after uh, and see what happens. I, I had a lot of people have interest in talking about Johnson Sioux bioreactors. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Can this test the the compost that they're making in a Johnson Sioux? Yeah. Yeah. We've worked a lot with them. They're a really neat group and it's a really neat thing. Yes. People do test the compost directly. Um, but again, our sort of feeling is it, it's sort of like if you, if you buy a, a, uh, input that's microbes, right? All microbes. And you put it on your soil, right? But but the soil can't can't sustain microbial life, right? Then they will just die. So if if you if you just tested the solution and said, oh my God, there's so many microbes in here, it's great, and put it on the soil and thought, right? And thought what, you're putting you're putting dead microbes instead of live microbes. You're putting live microbes that die. So really what you want to say is, yes, I, you know, I, it's fun to test the compost directly to see what its microbes are. But really the test is when I use it, does it make um, soil the microbes. that I put it on like um, healthier? Right. Yeah. So uh, just, just writing things on a whiteboard here. Yeah. So if you wanted to see like what effect your compost tea had on increasing your soil microbes, first you test your soil, mm -hmm. you test your compost tea, see what it is. You go apply, you wait two weeks yeah, and you come back and you retest in the mm -hmm. same location and you compare all the results. If you have more microbes after, you compare that to how many microbes you had in your compost tea, work out your area calculation and see how many survived. Yeah. And, and, and also because microbes reproduce every 15 minutes, they die very quickly. Right. So you can't just put microbes down and, 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 you know, they have to have food and there has to be good conditions. Right. And so 
So what you want to know is are all, you know, is the, my input doing all those things like, you know, because compost isn't just good because it has microbes in it. It's good because it has carbon, right? It has, uh, it, it improves water it holding capacity. Houses. It has, yeah. Like it's, it's, it's sort of great altogether. Right. Um, so that's sort of what we recommend people do, but then it's more complex than that because, you know, maybe in the two weeks that you inoculated the soil, it got cold, right? So when it gets cold, maybe your microbes go down. But I'm an accountant, right? So you always say, well, what would we expect if nothing happened? So you'd say, oh, well, because it's turning winter, I would expect my microbes to go down anyway. So they went down less than I expected. So it did improve my soil, right? Okay. Good stuff. Yeah. Anything I forgot to ask you or we still need to talk about? Not really. I guess, I guess, cause, cause you're in cattle. I guess the only thing is pastors are tricky. <laughs> <laughs> it just, probably an understatement. And measuring things on native range is a challenge we have yet to solve. Yeah. And, and people are like, oh, it means your test isn't accurate. And I was like, no. It just means in this one spot where you took the soil, that was the answer. But, you know, it, in row crops, agriculture, there's a lot more uniformity, right? But but in rangeland, you have, you, have, you know, maybe something went by and pooped, right? That changes things. Um, there's areas that are drier and wetter and trees and things like that. So it, it is, it, it, it is really hard when we talk to people with, sort of non, you know, just agricultural soil. We're like, oh, you know, it just met in forests too. People in forests always want to use our test. And I was like, the forests range so tremendously a couple feet apart. I don't, it's not that the answer is wrong. It's like, I don't know what you're going to do with it unless you do so much testing, you know, or, or really say, I just want to understand what's happening near tree roots, right? Then just test tree roots, but don't compare them to a patch of sun, right? Because I don't know what that would tell you necessarily. Well, I, I just, I, I just thought of a reason to order a refill. <laughs> but hear me out. So if I was uh, doing any strip grazing, which that won't take place until next year, which strip grazing is we're going to like really concentrate our animals into one spot and leave them there for one day and then get them off. So if we wanted to see how much by how much that was moving things, moving the needle in order to get good measurements, I need to take at least four samples. I need to take a pre-graze sample, a control sample, and then a post-graze sample, and then a post-graze control sample on something that didn't have any animal impact and see what the difference is. See, see if we've moved or had any meaningful change in the microbial community after a severe graze event. Yeah. I mean, and ideally, and that's why we want to get the test cheaper. You would not just take one of those, but you'd take a couple different places and sort of look at the trend. Right. So you'd say, um, because, because there's differences in, you know, you take maybe four controls in each point and four real tests in each point to sort of, maybe get an app, you know, to get a a, 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 a sort of trend line for them, but that's even harder. So, um, yeah. It, it's kind of like, um, it's kind of like people measuring bricks levels in grass, like bricks levels, soluble sugar, it kind of relates to cattle gains. And like it, when I, as soon as I started telling people like, yeah, I, you know, yeah, I've, I've measured some, I've measured my grass, some of it. And they're like, well, tell us, tell us, what does it mean? I'm like, I have no idea what it means. I've got like a dozen measurements. Like, I don't know what you want from me. I'm yeah. like, it's going to take a long time to figure out how the sugar levels change in the plants throughout the day, throughout the month, throughout the growing season, throughout the year, and be able to understand that. And I think that's where we're sort of early on and people are like, you know, particularly from other areas where they already have their measures, they already know it. And we're like, we're early in this data collection process. So we have to do all those tests to get enough information to figure out what it, 
what is meaningful information, right? At the end of the day, and it's it's not it's not easy, and it you know it's just it's going to have to take work, and it's neat that people are doing it, right? Yeah, I, I you know, farmer scientists, and that's it's such a cool term, and it's such a cool way to think about the people that are actually out there growing food and helping transition agriculture from the current system to something better. That's not just growing better food, but taking better care of the soil and the air and the water. Yeah, no. And it's true. That's what they are, right? They're doing the work that, you know, unfortunately all the thousands of USDA people aren't always on board doing, but it's okay. Well, we can talk about why, but that's a different podcast. Yeah. <laughs> we right. tried early on. We were like, we'll get on with the USDA. And then and we sort of gave up very quickly. But... Well, I'm glad you're here. And um... thank you for having me. Yeah. Thanks for your time. How would you like to end? Uh, I'd just like to say thank you to everyone. I'm with Microbiometer and we're a very small company. You can look us up online, microbiometer.com. Uh, and if you have any questions or inputs, good, bad, ugly, please let me know. Um, and if you use the code reboot15, you can get a 15% discount on any order. So that's thanks. anything on microbiometer.com. Yes. And all we sell is the starter kit and refills and a book. We also, um, we carry Jeff Lowenfeld's Teeming with Bacteria. No. Well, this is Teeming with Bacteria. We carry Teeming with, uh, nutrients um it's just sort of a beginner book for people who are understanding the the microbial um population in soil it's kind of a layperson's book it's very good very cool i'll make sure i get to uh, get those linked down in the show notes and thanks again for your time thank you have a good day hey you do the same bye-bye if you enjoyed this episode don't forget to like share and subscribe to our podcast We'd also love to hear your thoughts, so leave us a review if you haven't already. And don't forget to check out the Q&A and the polls on Spotify. Your support helps us bring more enlightening conversations and fresh stories from the world of farming and ranching. Thank you for listening to Ranching Reboot, your favorite regenerative ag podcast.